This is the Dive Bomb Squadcast, presented by Dive Bomb Industries. What's up, guys and gals? Asher Tolliver back with another episode of the Dive Bomb Squadcast. It is mid-October, and by now, many of you would be making your annual pilgrimage to the land of living skies, but as we all know, COVID put an end to those plans of crossing the border. I am joined today by our friend Colby Keith, owner of Wing Chaser Outdoors in Kansas, but Colby also guides up in Saskatchewan and just got back, I believe it was yesterday, after being up there for the past six weeks or so. Colby, what's up, man? Not a lot. How are you? I'm doing great, man. Season, it's 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 been pretty dang strong so far, so I can't complain. How uh how was that drive back from Saskatchewan? What is that around 22, 23 hours from Central Kansas? Yeah, it's about twenty three hours from my house. Uh, it was it was long, like always, that's for sure. But now, did you do you make that drive by yourself? Yep, by myself, just me and my dog Cliff. Um, my business partner from Kansas, Dalton, actually followed me. He was right behind me all the time. So. You know, a lot of you guys, you're you're probably wondering how he got to cross the border into Canada. Colby, correct me if I'm wrong, but Prairie's Edge was running hunts for Canadian residents this fall, and being a lead guide for them, you were able to obtain an employer-specific work permit, thus deeming you as an essential worker. Would that be accurate? Yeah, that that's accurate. Uh, it's uh, it, it's kind of a complicated process, to be honest with you, but we got it done, and um, I got in with no problems and stayed up there for 55, 56 days. So it was good. Now, did you have to quarantine for 14 days upon arrival, or are you yeah. exempt from that? No, I wasn't exempt. Yeah, I had to quarantine for two weeks. It was pretty boring, not a lot going on. There, so. what, did, what did you do in, in Canada in quarantine for two weeks? Well, well, our camp's out on a farm, so I was out there all by myself, so I could go out in the front yard, you know, and mess with A-frames and decoys and okay. uh, that kind of so thing. So you're able to, to get everything ready for the season, get get blinds brushed up and decoys organized and trailer and all that good stuff. Yeah, I did some, did some work on getting the trailers ready to go, get decoys out and get them, you know, got them washed up and put new ones in, and it was... It was enough work to keep me busy anyway. So. Definitely. Yeah. Now, just looking at your Instagram profile, mm-hmm. it looks like you guys at PEO put a pretty good hurt on them. Quite a few that won't be making their way south this fall. How was the <laughs> How was the hunting in Canada this season, man? It was phenomenal, like always. Um, really, the only major difference, I would tell you, is just the lack of pressure. I mean, there was just... No pressure. I think I saw, let's see, I saw two other spreads um, in 56 days. So pretty low pressure. Yeah. You know, that's one of the biggest questions that's kind of going around in, in the waterfowl circles is how this closure is going to impact our hunting and our migration in the lower 48. Uh, some think that we could be in for a banner year, especially the mid to lower portions of the flyway because so many fewer birds were not only harvested, but educated north of the border. Others kind of think it could be a very slow migration because there's not the same pressure that you kind of alluded to to push them along. And they're going to, 
you know, hold the line until the weather forces him south. What are your thoughts on the impact that we may see this fall in the lower 48, if we even see an impact at all? Uh, my thoughts are that I, uh, I think it's more weather-driven than it is pressure-driven. Um, and I know the day I was leaving, it was 22 degrees Fahrenheit, obviously, um, and snowing and just, just freezing cold, and birds were getting out of there in a hurry. Um, so I think the Dakotas are going to start to get real good here soon. Um, and I think we're going to have birds like normal. I don't think we're going to see a major difference um, as far as bird numbers go from the border being closed. I, I just don't think we're going to see a big difference as far as bird numbers go. What are you guys seeing? Um, you know, obviously you just got back when you hopped on. Um, you know, you were talking about you, you guys had a group out this morning. What are you guys um, seeing in Kansas right now? We have a lot yet to come. Uh, we have some teal, some gadwall, some widgeon, uh, a few mallards, a few pintails, a few cranes, uh, but it's it's just the beginning. We have a lot to come yet, and we're, we're actually holding uh, less than we would be uh, normally, and I just think it's because it's been so warm, uh, we could really use a cold front here. So. Yeah. How about the specs? You guys uh, see any of those pushing through? I haven't seen any yet personally. Uh, I, I guess I'm asking if you've seen anything. I should be asking, I guess, to your guys. I mean, shoot, you just got back from yeah. Canada, so I guess you haven't, you know, not like you've been hanging around, but I guess the reports from the guys is right. what I'm asking. Yeah, I think Dylan saw a flock of about 10 uh, two days ago, but outside of that, no, the specs, specs aren't here yet. There's a few you know, buzzing around from what Cameron's been saying. But me personally, I haven't seen a spec yet. So. Yeah. Uh, I was, they're, uh, they're on their way. That's for sure. Definitely. Yeah, I was last night I was the kids, we we grilled out and we we made a fire pit and um I was standing outside, kids were talking and playing. I said, Hang on, be quiet, listen, listen. And <laughs> I could hear them up there. Um could hear the specs flying over, so I naturally being the waterfowl, I sprint in my house and grab my claw to see if I can <laughs> get them to uh, just, just see if I could get some interest. You know, I live right in the middle of this, you know, in the city. Well, I, I live in North Little Rock. I live north of the metro in a little town called Sherwood. So we do hear quite a few come through in the fall. So naturally, I ran in and grabbed my call and, you know, I started ripping on them. I'm sure my neighbors like wondering, you know, what the heck was going on. But uh, that got me pretty pretty fired up um you know just kind of hearing them fly over you know i know a lot of places here uh you know in eastern arkansas they're they're loading up with ducks and we're still i mean we're still well over a month away from from our duck season opening so you know we're definitely getting getting those those calendar ducks there's no doubt about that and you know the the specs i uh, from what I'm hearing, I, you know, I've been traveling a lot, but a lot of people that are, you know, around Stuttgart or Jonesboro, a little north, uh, they're saying the specs have been moving in for a couple weeks now, and we're picking up more and more every day. So, wow. I guess only time will tell. Personally, I don't think we're going to see a delay in the migration due to lack of pressure up north. You know, I think, I think it's going to be, uh, you know, about right on schedule. Would you say? Based on your time up in Canada, you know, you've got, you know, a good bit of experience guiding up there. Would you say 
as far as the you know the lack of pressure uh the migration bird numbers uh, would you say that was uh similar would you say you were seeing um you know bigger feeds due to uh, the lack of pressure and more birds kind of staging up in an area before getting scattered. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I definitely can. So there were certain areas that we hunt that normally have a ton of uh, freelance pressure. And, you know, with none of that going on this year, it seems like, so if there's 10 feeds in an area, let's just say, um, and we're only hunting one of them a day, then the other ones just sit there and continue to stack and don't get hunted. So there was there were definitely some feeds that grew to I mean twenty thirty thousand birds and you never see anything that big um, right. on a normal year and I'm talking mostly dark feeds and ducks and some white in there but you just you don't see dark feeds that big on a normal year they just they get blown up before uh, before they can get to that point so but but uh, yeah we we were definitely holding some birds. Up but you would say based on years past it was for the most part the birds were were on schedule yeah yeah i would say so the uh, snow geese seemed to stick around in big numbers uh, a little later this year for whatever reason and, and that could definitely be pressure related you know maybe maybe as they're getting blown up more and more every day on a normal year they they get out of there but for whatever reason, we, we held snows pretty late this year. Yeah. Right. Now, the um, normally I'm much more involved keeping up with the weather up there because we're hunting up there so much and traveling around. And honestly, this year, I didn't really even look at it that much. Um, you know, I've seen a we're getting some Arctic weather up north right now. Would you say while you're up there that it got uh, cooler a little quicker this year or you know, just about the same. You know, honestly, it was the warmest, driest fall um, that I've seen in my years up there. And uh, Mike, who owns Prairie's Edge, said that it's the driest, warmest fall he's ever seen. Wow, um, really? Yep, like I said, it didn't even get cold until the day we left. Um, and I looked at the long-term forecast, and it looks like it's going to stay that way. So I think we got out of there at, you know, the perfect time. Um, but it was real mild. We drove in every single day, never had to walk in, uh, just bone dry and mild for the whole time. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, normally I'm, I'm looking at it every day and basically just, you know, going off of these days, been getting stuff, you know, seeing that we're tagged in from residents and stuff. And, um, you know, I wasn't even really looking at the temps or the weather or anything, but I did notice within the last couple of days, people are starting to talk about some uh, falling, you know, falling temperatures and starting to get some some uh, winter precipitation. So um, when you guys first got up there um, in September, did they, was there many crops off? Uh, was it, you know, pretty easy to get on stuff or was it kind of a, you know, one of those later harvest type of years. It was a it was a really simple harvest this year. Uh, they got it With off it being you know, so dry, I guess. Exactly, they got it off right in time. You know, if not if not earlier than normal, um, we had no issues as far as that goes. So that was good. So, what about the um, 
the local bird numbers whenever you showed up the first few weeks before you guys uh, started getting any birds that were migrating down. Um, how, how was the local bird numbers upon arrival? Right. And, you know, I can only speak for our area we hunt. Uh, I don't know about the rest of Canada, but sure. for where we're at, I would say that, like I said, it's drier than normal, but the bodies that, you know, have water in them, uh, the little potholes that for whatever reason held water and the bigger lakes and stuff, um, the ducks seemed to do exceptionally well this year. There was a lot of young ducks flying around and, uh, yeah, it was it was great. I think uh, I think the flight should be strong for this fall. Uh, the ducks seem to do well. Uh, the Canada's, the local honkers seem to do well. Um, yeah, I would say I would say everything seemed to do pretty well. Now, uh, in years past, with it being so dry this year, did you guys feel like you had to concentrate some of your hunting closer to some of these? bigger bodies of water some of the places that were holding water and more birds roosting on it rather than some of these smaller potholes and stuff did you feel like you guys had to make a little bit of an adjustment this this fall absolutely um you know a lot of the roost that the birds would normally use were dry so whenever you found the water you know a big lake or a big roost pond that just would be impossible for it to dry up more or less um those things would just be stacked because the birds had to be so concentrated uh, right. it was so dry. Yeah. No kidding, man. See, I I had no idea it was that dry up there. I I didn't yeah. have a clue. I just assumed it was, you know, about average. Honestly, actually, I even in my mind, I kind of thought it was maybe above average. But it just tells you, you know, uh, we're getting reports from people that are hunting up there all the time, and this year it just felt so. And we do have a ton of customers uh, in Canada and sending stuff in, but more so just pictures and telling us how they enjoy the decoys we're not really talking so much about uh on-site conditions and all that stuff so i just totally felt like kind of out of the loop this year as as i'm sure a lot of people did in in canada so i know there's a a lot of people that are probably probably pretty jealous of you colby getting to go up there and have all that fun now (laughs) what's that I said it was a blast, that's for sure. No, I believe it, man. Now, how many hunts, um, you know, did you guys run, or I guess groups? So what were you running? Most groups, were they three-day or five-day? So I guess how many how many different groups um, did you run? Or I don't know, maybe even just total hunts, I guess. Forget the groups. How many total hunts, just, um, you know, morning hunts, I would say, uh, did you did you run this this fall? So we hunted every day um, from September 1st, no, sorry, September 3rd to October 13th. So from September 3rd to October 13th, we had three three to four days off in there. Um, Okay. And every other day, it was either a morning and an afternoon hunt or just a morning hunt. But most of the time, both morning and afternoon. Okay, so you guys had hunters in camp um, pretty much while you were there, I mean, the entire time. Yep, yep, wasn't a lot of downtime. So I've got to ask, um, you know, just looking at the pictures, it you know, it looks like you guys shot them every day, but uh, 
what, what percentage of your groups or, or hunts did you guys shoot out? Um, and we'll, we'll, I guess that's kind of a, that's a tough question because you got dark geese and ducks, but I'd say, right. let's say what percentage of your groups did you, we'll say double, double shoot out ducks and dark geese. Between the morning and evening hunts? Yes. Oh man, I'd say it's hard to put a percentage on it. I'd say somewhere sure. around 60, 70%. Um, and that's, that's only because it could be higher than that, but right. the guys, most of our clients were from Ontario, you know, Eastern Canada. So they want to chase specks and snows um, okay. more than, more than Canada's or ducks. So we would normally set up on big mixed bag combos, you know, with okay. a lot of snows in them in the morning. Um, just because that's what they wanted to do. So you know, we might 60, 70, 80 birds, but, you know, sure. 40, 50, know. Kind, of a, kind, of a, kind of a loaded question, depending on what kind of clients you're dealing with. Because it sounds like if you wanted to, between five and eight guys, if you wanted to set up for darks and duck geese and kill a double limit every day, which would be, you know, 16 birds a, a person, um, it sounds like you guys could have done that if you wanted to. Probably so. Definitely between the morning and the evening hunt. You know, sure. It is hard at times to find a field you're going to shoot a double double in. Sure. In one hunt, that's especially once the darts start Pretty coming tough. off the roost and the ducks are with them. You know, buzzing around everywhere, and right. you're, you're kind of having to pick which one you want to target. You know, and by the time you have all your darts, then the ducks are done flying, and vice versa. So it's right. uh, we normally like to hunt one in the morning and. You know, hunt the beast in the morning and hunt the ducks in the evening. Did you have any hunts that just weren't good? Yeah, we had uh, probably probably two or three mornings that just, for whatever reason, things did not go to plan. Birds went the other way off the roofs, um, that type of thing. You know, it happens. Well, I'd say in five, six weeks of hunting, I'll take two or three during three bad days <laughs> yeah it, it happens every night that's right it happens yeah it, it uh there's a lot of uncontrollable factors in this game as Absolutely. as everybody listening knows and especially a guy that that runs a you know an outfitter uh you can do everything you can to uh make sure that you know your clients are going to enjoy a successful hunt but if the uh the birds don't play by the rules eh, there ain't nothing you can do i think some people they you know, they think a guided hunt or an outfitter and it's just like guaranteed limits. And it's like, yeah, we, we do shoot a lot of limits, but it's, there's nothing guaranteed. And, and when you guys are booking these dates, well, well in advance of, of clients ever showing up. So it's like, man, I cannot control, uh, the pressure, the weather, the migration. Like there's sometimes just some people, you know, they get three days of just a banner shooting and they hit it right. And some guys, you know, you might have to might have to grind for a couple of days or birds get funky and it gets warm and you get a full moon. Yep. And, um, so I try to encourage a lot of people to keep that stuff in mind, not just God services and outfitters, people that are hunting with them, expecting limits all the time, but even people just listening that are waterfowl hunting on their, their own. I think sometimes we get caught up in that, uh, seeing, these huge, you know, monster piles on social media right. all the time. And it makes us think we're a failure if we, if we don't just burn them down or we only kill like 10 or 12. And it's like, Hey, sometimes, 
sometimes you can push all the right buttons and do all the things right that any really good waterfowler would have done in that same situation. You can get on the X, you can get hidden, you can have a, a really good decoy spread, you can be a good caller, um, but sometimes it just don't matter, you know? Yep. So, uh, but this one, uh, that's right. That's right. So, I mean, some days they, uh, some days you're the hammer, some days you're the nail, but it sounds like most of the days, especially up there in Canada this fall, you guys were the, were the hammer. So the, you said you saw what a couple, a couple other groups while you were up there, which, you know, I know the area you guys hunt receives, a good bit of pressure like you said not only from other outfitters but american freelance hunters as well and this has been another really hot topic can you can you tell me about the difference you saw this season compared to last season regarding getting on birds and getting permission i mean i know you guys are experienced and you're going to get your birds even in a year that the place is just overrun with people because you know what you're doing but I guess what I'm asking just was the whole process easier this fall? Let, I mean, less pressure, less coming down to the last minute of scouting, trying to get on something. And you're, you know, you've got multiple groups of clients in town and you're just, you're racing the setting sun to get something. Was it, was it easier this fall? It was easier um, for the simple fact of, when you do find a feed and you get on it, you're not worried about somebody else being there the next morning. And I never felt like I was, you know, racing somebody scouting. I never felt like that one time. Um, in a normal year, it's it's fairly cut, you know, cutthroat at times. We're racing each other and people are trying to beat each other to feeds and whatever else. And, and I definitely don't like playing that game. I wish we could all uh, you know, in a perfect world, we'd all get along, but uh, it doesn't always work like that. So this year, it was just so much easier because we weren't dealing with any of that. I mean, if you found a feed and got permission, you were you had nothing to worry about because yeah. you know, there's nobody else on. What about getting permission? Was there any difference between this year and other years? You know, it seems like uh, it seems like people maybe have been getting tired of just constants coming yeah. up knocking on their doors it seems like this year it's like oh gosh we get to see somebody again you know it's back to the old days like you know 30 years ago what what was right. the permission uh, access well you know we we've been around Prairie's Edge has been around a long time um, and I've been up there for several years now and everyone I've talked to um, you know I only talked to oh, a handful of guys that I've never talked to before this year so when I go up to the door and, you know, talk to him before the ice is broken, most of them said, Colby, how the hell did you get up here this year? Right. <laughs> yeah. But it was, it, it was easy enough. I mean, they, uh, they know us and know who we are. And, uh, yeah, permission wasn't bad at all. And the new guys we talked to, uh, they, uh, they seem to be almost glad to hear from somebody, like you're saying. Yeah. yeah. Did um was there any other outfitters that you know of in that immediate area that were running um Canadian customers? No, no absolutely not. Um, no, not right where we're at. There was a guy who would be about an hour south, a little over an hour south, um, and he ran a few a few Canadian clients. 
Um, but yeah, outside of him, you know, I don't, I don't know about anybody else that was. Yeah. In our area. Yeah. I mean, I, Mike, I saw, you know, seeing throughout the summer, it, it looked like he could, everybody just kept having their fingers crossed that the borders were going to open and let's hope for the right. best. I could see Mike um, through these different sales and specials. I was like, man, this he's being proactive. Like he's, because who would have thought, man, like when this thing started early in the spring, everybody knew like, oh, okay, it sucks. We lost the spring snows, but you know, the fall that's like, you know, that's the world series for, for waterfowl hunting in Canada and outfitters and money making season. And I think everybody just kept holding out, hoping for the best. We just, there was no way it was going to stay closed that, you know, this long. And man, I could see, I could see him being proactive and starting to run, you know, these specials and stuff. And, you know, it looked like it, it worked out, you know, really, really well. Obviously it wasn't a normal year where you guys were able to just, you know, like you guys or anybody else to, you know, slam full your books and run multiple groups and, and, um, but, but in a year like this to still be able to get some guys up, be able to operate and, um, you know, make some money, you've got to consider that a win. I mean, absolutely. it's just in, in a year like this, anything positive that can happen like that has to be considered a win. And then, you know, you did get some Canadian clients that maybe uh, have never experienced uh, either. They maybe do live there and don't uh, quite have the, the knowledge or the tools to uh, go on a hunt like you put them on, or maybe some guys, like you said, from Ontario or somewhere over there that, you know, wanted to get into some serious, seriously high volume Saskatchewan wing shooting. So that's awesome. I mean, I think you just have to look at the big picture and, um, consider, consider it a win. Yep. Yep. I agree. I agree. So, um, then you said you, you only saw a couple other guys in the field while you were up there would you say they were just like just local guys freelancing well actually know exactly who both of them were okay Um, one of them was one of our farmers families likes to come up and uh i shouldn't say come up they're from that area come out and hunt Um, and they hunted a couple days and then we never saw we never saw them again Um, and and the other one was a group of freelance guys Um, i'm not going to say where from but yeah, they were just doing it on their own, and um, yeah, that's the only time we uh, we dealt with anybody else. Gotcha. Now, did they? Um, I mean, obviously, you knew going to the border that you had your, you know, have your eyes dotted and your T's crossed because of what's going on this year. But did yeah. they give you? Was it was it decently easy? I mean, obviously, you had all the paperwork, but um, did they seem to give you any? any trouble at all or was it fairly easy it was fairly easy um like i said we had everything worked out the way it needed to be uh, so it was fairly easy i was there for oh i don't know a little over an hour um, and they questioned me a little bit but but they didn't put me in a dark room and threaten me or anything sure. like that it, it was easy enough so. yeah definitely now Another subject that many of us want to ignore, despite the whispers, is the complete ban of American freelance waterfowl hunters in Canada. Many seem to think 
that were not far away from waterfowl hunting go in the same direction as big game hunting, as in you're required to hunt with an outfitter. No more of the DIY stuff. Based on what you are hearing, do you think these are just rumors or do you believe this is something we could see happening? If, if it doesn't get under control, um, I could see the government stepping in. Absolutely. It's just the previous couple of years have been so out of control. Uh, guys not getting permission, guys leaving trash, um, you know, guys double dipping on birds. You name it, it's just been out of control. So I, I wouldn't be completely surprised if, if that happened. Um, but I think at the same time, the revenue the freelance guys bring into the restaurants and hotels and, and the licensing you know, system and all that, I just, I think it's going to be a difficult decision for the Canadian government either way. So. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's one of those things that, I think it's it's some people, you know, obviously when you're reading on forums and stuff, a lot of people are really worried about um, North Dakota this year because it's it's kind of the the Canada south of the border, you know, here in the United States. And it's where a lot of people has been going for a long time. But, you know, a lot of a lot of people are worried, especially residents, uh, that people are going to come in from out of town and, you know, they're just not going to do things the right way as far as, you know, treating the resource right, um, permission, rutting up fields, uh, just doing things that, that could mess it up for the guys that's been doing it right. So guys, anybody that's listening, um, you know, we're completely neutral. Like we support our outfitters. We love our outfitters, but we're also freelance hunters at heart. I've been going up there for eight years, I guess, with, with my friends and doing our own thing. And we hunt with outfitters with dive bomb. Um, but regardless of wherever you go or what you do, whether you do it in Canada, whether you do it in the Dakotas, whether you do it in your home state, it doesn't matter. Be respectful of the people that, um, let you get on their ground. And by that, you know, Thank farmers. Be good to them. Take care of their ground. Don't tear it up. Pick up your trash. <clears throat> Leave it better than you found it. And, um, you know, we're going to be able to hold on to these good things for longer. But, you know, if we abuse it and we don't take care of it and we just, ah, it's not mine, not worried about it, that, that attitude does not work in this game. So, guys, please respect the resource, respect the farmers. I mean, if it's somebody that, you know, it's been really good to you. Send them a turkey at Christmas. Send them a, send them a present. Shoot, just send them a car. Do something. Just let them know that you appreciate uh, what what they do for you and allowing them to open up their land for you to, you know, go out and enjoy this awesome sport. So regardless of where you go, uh, pick up after yourself. Uh, pick up your shell holes. Pick up your trash. And, um, you know, it'll it'll work out in our favor but we everybody's got to do their part because man all it takes is a couple bad instances and you get a farmer that that's that's got some pull a lot of ground and you you step on his toes and mess something up and they go to the diner the cafe and they start talking to other farmers and they start talking they say you know what we're we're done we're just going to shut you know forget it we're just going to shut the whole thing down 
Um, it just ruins it for everybody. So let's just make sure we're doing things the right way. Let's be respectful and uh, we'll be able to keep this thing, um, you know, going a lot longer. And I know Colby, you know, you guys know all about keeping relationships intact, appreciating people, because I'm telling you, when you do it, uh, it's your livelihood and you're running a business. And I know you're guiding up in Canada, but you've got your own business in Kansas. And I know you guys, um, you know, we've hunted with you and you know that the most important aspect, the the whole thing that makes this thing go is your farmers. So the way, uh, you know, the way you treat them is what's going to determine how things are going to work out for you. So, uh, you got anything you want to add on that being the owner of an, an outfitter? Well, first of all, I really appreciate you saying that. The world needs to hear more of that, and that's for sure. Um, but, but yeah, I'll just repeat of what on what you said. Um, the guys that let us hunt, we treat like family. Um, I absolutely appreciate it uh, more than I can even put into words because without farmers, without you know, gracious landowners, it doesn't matter if you're in Canada or in the States. None of this is possible. So I just I have the utmost respect for those guys that, that let us on. So. Definitely. Now I guess that's that's pretty much all the the big questions I've got on Canada. I think the stuff that kind of everybody was wondering was, you know, they just kind of wanted to to know what it was like hunting up there. You know, I think everybody knew there wasn't going to be pressure, but just hearing these the wide open prairie grain fields of canada you know having you know all these birds stacked up and being able to choose whichever one you want without having to race somebody to a field or worry about somebody being there that was that was pretty awesome and uh you know just to kind of kind of live through your your pictures on on social media we've been able to hunt a lot and you know we've been going and it's been a great season but there's just some little part missing, I think, in a lot of us when we don't get to make that that uh, annual trip up there. And it's not even necessarily the the you know the super high volume shooting. I mean, just the whole like. I mean, I think one of my favorite parts of the whole thing was like the drive. There's something about leaving the drive there. Let me clarify the drive home kind of sucks, but the drive there, there's something about leaving Arkansas and it's so hot and it's not that bad right now, but when we would have gone, it's so hot and it's like you stop every few hours, three or four hours, whatever to get gas. And it seems like every year, just a little bit colder every stop we get and it just kind of starts getting you excited for getting up there and then by the time you get you know up closer to the border you find yourself opening the enclosed trailer to get your you know to get your hoodie and sweatpants out of the bag now it sounded like this year it was a little bit warmer and that might not have been needed something about that that trip and that anticipation going up there even though i've hunted up there a ton and even more so with dive bomb, there's just, there's just something about Canada. It's just so wide open and the, the grain fields and just the, you know, I, I don't know. I just, it's just something that signifies like it's time. Like this is the best time of year. I don't know. It's just like, even though I've started hunting before 
I go up there, you know, like early season, there's just something about it. Just, it's almost like just the signal of our favorite time of year. You know, it's like things start cooling off and we know the birds are on the move and then we're going to be killing them back home. And the next several months are just going to be absolutely awesome. Uh, just spent with our friends and our kids and our families. And I love the spring and summer too. I love, I, and I love life. I love crappie fishing. I love going to the lake. But man, there's just something about fall and winter that just runs through our veins. Um, but yeah, just a little part of all of us missing not being able to make that trip. So it's nice to talk to somebody that, you know, to get really jealous from that got to go up there and do it. So let's talk about Kansas really fast. Um, sure. So, you, you know, you've got... Wing Chaser Outdoors, you and Cameron, and a, you know a slew of other guys. You guys run an awesome operation. I mean, we're we're coming out there. We're going to see you guys on uh, December twenty seventh and twenty eighth. Yep. Can't wait yep. to do that. Um, how how's your book? I mean, are your books everything looking good down there? Are you guys running about where you want to be running? Has COVID uh, hurt you at all? What what do we got there? Uh, well, I'll just, you know, I'm not trying to be arrogant. I'll just say it like it is. COVID hasn't hurt us at all. Um, our books are, are more solid than they've ever been. And I don't know if that's because, you know, of the Canada trips getting canceled, guys are looking for alternative options or what. But I am I am extremely thankful for the way our books look. I mean, we're solid. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Man. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's a lot of guys that, that do the, you know, the Canada America thing. And, you know, I'm hoping some of the guys that were um, maybe hurting some financially, not being able to get their Canada stuff in, you know, I hope they're um, able to, you know, not, certainly not make it up. I don't think you can make it up, but, but, um, you know, just have a great season here in the States. And most people that I'm talking to seem to be, you know, things are looking good. They're feeling good. And, um, you know, they're hanging in there. And, uh, so that's awesome. I, uh, I hope everybody has a great fall. We see a strong migration and, uh, you guys run an awesome, an awesome outfit there. You, you guys, uh, you, you know what you're doing. Um, and, and I've never heard a crossword about wing chaser or any of you guys involved, uh, in any waterfowl circles, you know, you guys got it going on there. You guys treat people right. You do things the right way, but ultimately you provide an awesome experience and uh, you guys kill a lot of birds. And, you know, we talk about the other side of waterfowl hunting because waterfowl is so much more than killing. But ultimately, you know, when you run a God service, you do have to be good at two things. Uh, the first one, you've got to be able to manage people. You got to be able to deal with people. You got to be a people person. You got to be personable. You got to be respectful and you got to be appreciative. I think that's the number one part of running an outfitter. And the second thing you got to do is you got to be able to kill birds um, because people, they're likely not booking a hunt to come and, and watch a sunrise. While that, that is certainly a bonus. Yeah. Um, you, you do have to be able to kill birds, but I would say if you're good at both of those, if you can kill birds and be a great person, then you got it going on. And there's a lot of guys out there that they can, they can kill birds. They can kill the heck out of birds, 
but they would not make the best guy to be running a God service center outfitter because you're in that business. You're not just defined by how big your piles are. Maybe people on social media define you by your piles, but I can promise your clients aren't defining you just on your piles because we've, we, we hunted a lot of outfitters and I've seen clients, no kidding, going back to having the, the uncontrollable factors. And when the birds don't play right, I've seen clients leave places just happier than they could possibly be after they had a very, very underwhelming hunt. It like underwhelming as in me knowing what this outfitter is capable of doing and they did everything in their power to get it. The birds just didn't cooperate. And I've seen people leave so happy rebookings because of the way they were treated and they understood that ultimately it is hunting. It's not killing, but I tell you what, you can be, good at both of those things if you can if you can first be good with people and second be good with waterfowl then uh you can uh, you can make it happen and you guys are very good at both of those things so i'm excited to get out there and i'd actually talk to i sent cameron a text the other day and i think we're going to come out there and try to kill some snows uh whenever it opens up in february too so okay. that's gonna be pretty awesome i know they cade and forest they had a great time out there and the whole that the van story was hilarious with Forrest like flying the plane and like seeing the cripple. He's like, I'm gonna walk Lila over there and uh pick up yeah. that cripple. And of of course it was it was banded, you know, only Forrest. Um yeah. you know, only Forrest. What a lucky guy. Those two were awesome. They were they were black. <laughs> and Taylor done a dance well. We we had a blast this week. Yeah. Taylor's great, man. He is yeah, great. Yeah. Well, Colby, I um I appreciate you joining me, man. We are, uh, you know, we're, we're so excited about continuing moving forward, closing in on uh, November and just seeing this migration pick up, the temperatures drop, the leaves fall, and uh, it's, it's going to be a fun ride. So I know you're, uh, you're back in Kansas and I'm sure you're, um, you know, itching to uh, get things rocking and rolling there and seeing those big feeds of lesser Canada geese start showing up so you can, you know, you can start doing your thing. So, uh, man, I uh, thanks a ton for joining me, and uh, I'm sure I'll be talking to you soon. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Colby. Have a good day, man. You too. We'll talk to you later. All right. There it is. Waterfowl hunting in Canada. In COVID Canada, fall 2020 with Colby Keith. Some part, you know, kind of like I was saying, there's just some part missing when you don't get to go to Canada. And I know a lot of you guys feel the same way. It's just such a such a magical place. We have hit 100,000 followers on our Instagram page. And we're doing a huge giveaway. Three outfitters, three states, flown around in your own private plane. Forest Carpenter, Colorado to Kansas to Nebraska. Make sure you guys jump on that. We cannot wait to have one of you and your guest to join us on that. On our YouTube channel, uh, we just dropped our first Death from Below video, a hunt from mid-September. Graham Gresseth, Mexed Out Guides, absolutely awesome hunt, sweet decoy setup showcase from the drone super cool video it's going to be super helpful to a lot of guys i think y'all are going to love it 
Um, as always, make sure you're following along on our other social media platforms, Facebook, the closed Facebook group, absolute best place to get inside information, Dive Bomb Ministries forum and fan page. I hope you guys are having a great waterfowl season thus far. Looking forward to more great days in the field. Stay safe out there. Respect the land. Until next time, y'all be good. Thank you for listening to the Dive Bomb Squadcast. Mm-hmm.